Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 128. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. With all the struggles and the turbulence in today's market, I'd like to have today's episode focus on why I don't believe in buy and holding, and specifically why I don't believe in holding a stock for any great length of time. Now, I know many of you believe that some stocks should be held for years, if not decades, and I'm going to make the argument that those assumptions are based on a normalcy bias, and if you rely on that, you could find yourself having the rug pulled out from underneath you. Before we get to that discussion, though, I do briefly want to talk about what's going on in the market today. Also, I want to do a couple shout-outs. I wanted to say hi to a couple good friends and listeners to the show that are having some exciting adventures going on in their life right now. Mike and his family have just relocated and moved to Hawaii. They'll be there for three years or so, so I want to wish them the best. What a fantastic location to get transferred to. I'm envious of you guys. Make sure you go to a luau for me. I also want to give a shout out to my friend Mark. Him and his family are spending the summer down in Panama. So again, good luck to them. Enjoy the adventures down there. One other thing I want to make note of, um, in spite of the turbulence and the uncertainty in the markets, Today, I did make a purchase of Walmart stock. I'm not going to talk about it in this episode, but if you go over to my firm's website, investablewealth.com, I did do a blog post there that lays out the rationale. So if you're interested in that, check that out. Hey, I also uh, want to mention that one of the listeners is having a problem receiving email updates when I do a new blog post. So if you are subscribed to the blog post at investablewealth.com, that's just the general website sign-up page there. If you are signed up to that and you haven't been receiving any emails or, you know, if in fact today you didn't get receive an email about the Walmart purchase, first check your spam filters, make sure it's not going there. If that's not the problem, go ahead and get in touch with me and I'll try and uh, delete your subscription and reinstitute it and see if that works out for you. Now, what about this stock market that we're in? It's the same old stagnation that we've seen all year. The S&P and the NASDAQ, they flirt with their 200-day or their 50-day moving average. They go on to make new highs, and then that collapses again, and they struggle around their 50-day moving average. Well, that's where we are right now. The NASDAQ is sitting just above its 50-day. The S&P 500 is just below its. The poor performance of late has really been exasperated by some of these leadership stocks also losing their footing. You'll recall in just some past podcasts, I mentioned how the breadth of the expansion wasn't very deep. Like on the NASDAQ, you just had a handful of stocks two weeks ago that were pushing the index onto all new highs. But when you dug down into the numbers, you found that the vast majority of stocks were underperforming. So Apple, Facebook, Google, a few others, that's where all the gains were coming from. Well, now we're seeing weakness even in some of the leadership. Google was down probably about 5% from the highs that we saw it making two weeks ago. The same thing can be said for Facebook. And with Apple, it's even worse. And you'll remember a couple episodes when we talked about Apple, I mentioned that the problem there would be slowing sales in China. Apple's a fantastic company. I own an iPhone. I like many of their products. I Obviously, I uh, syndicate my podcast through iTunes. I think they have fantastic services. I've been an investor uh, in and out of this company for the last 20 years or so, but in keeping with the theme of today's show, I don't fall in love with any single stock. I think there are good times to own Apple and there are bad times to own Apple. This has been one of the not-so-good times to own Apple. It's down something like 16% over the last two weeks. Now, while you may love Apple and you may think that, uh, you know, five, ten years from now, it's still a great stock to, to own, and, and it may well be, but certainly in the last two or three weeks, it hasn't been a good stock to own. 
And like I always say, you know, I don't know. I might be dead in five or 10 years, but I know I'm alive over these last three weeks. And so why would I want to see my um, stock portfolio depreciate by, you know, 15 or 16% if I can help it? Now, obviously, none of us can see in the future. But as I've been talking about, you know, all this year, we're in some very turbulent times. And a lot of these stocks are very risky. And in my opinion, it makes sense to take some profits and go into some cash positions and wait on the sidelines. Apple was an example of one of those stocks. And likewise, we may be seeing further problems with Facebook and Google and these, and these other, um, you know, high tech or media type, type tech companies. Now, again, does that mean that Google's not going to be a great investment in five years? Well, no, it might be fantastic. But you have to look at the market every day and decide, are your assets appreciating or are they depreciating? Over the last couple of weeks, Facebook and Google have both been depreciating. Well, why would you want to own an asset that's depreciating? No one has a gun to your head. You're not forced to own these stocks, particularly if they're in a, a retirement account where you're not going to pay any capital gains taxes. Well, then why not sell them and take your profits? Even if you are in a taxable account, in my opinion, in many cases, or probably if not most cases, you'd also be better off taking the profit and paying the tax man. Just for illustrative purposes, let, let's uh, assume that you own Apple in a taxable account. And as of, you know, a month ago, you uh, you had a $10,000 uh, position in it. It's appreciated over 20%. You didn't want to sell it and take profits because that means that you'd have to pay taxes on a $2,000 capital gain. Let's just assume that you haven't owned it for more than a year and you're going to have to pay a full uh, ordinary income tax rate on that and that you're in a 30% tax bracket. Well, that would mean that your $2,000 profit, you'd have to pay $600 to the government. And so you'd only wind up with a profit of $1,400. And so, you know, I can understand why you wouldn't want to do that. You'd want to hold on to it, maybe hold it for at least a year so that you can reduce your capital gains taxes. But just in the last couple of weeks, what happened? The stocks drop by like 15, 16%. So you've already lost $1,600. You no longer have a $2,000 profit. You only have about a $400 profit. Because you didn't want to pay your taxes, you ended up with a bigger loss. And remember, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is your net worth. So you would have been better off a month ago selling your Apple stock, paying the tax man, and adding $1,400 to your net worth. Because today, you only have about a $400 gain, and when you sell that, you're still going to have to pay taxes on it. So don't fret about taxes. But I'll get off my soapbox, and let's get back to the market. So not only are we just seeing this stagnation, this vacillation, the market goes up to, uh, the S&P 500 goes up to, you know, maybe 2100, 2130, and then it collapses and it drops down somewhere below 2000, and then back and forth, back and forth, up 3%, down 5%, up 5%, down 2%. Now, if you were a skilled day trader, maybe you could make a lot of money in this market. But you know, in my 30 years of trading stocks, I don't know too many people that can do that. I never had that ability. I'm a swing trader. I like to take positions that uh, last for maybe two weeks to two or three months. That puts me into markets where I can see defined short-term and near-term trends. I don't have to try and get everything right every minute of the day. It leaves a lot of room for error, and it's been my experience that it's a good way to build your wealth. If you're trying to move in and out and make every little trade in a market like we're in right now, yes, you may get lucky, and a couple times you'll pick up that 2 or 3% as it goes up. 
but you're just as likely to take that 3 or 5% loss on the way down. And the problem with today's market is, and we've talked about this in recent episodes, we've been talking about this for about two years. These markets are at all-time highs. Right now, we're six and a half years into a bull market. This is the third longest rally in the history of our country, in the history of the world. All bull markets, all rallies eventually come to an end. It's hard for me to believe that this one's going to go on for another year or two without some type of a correction. Now, we haven't had anything more than a 10% or even a 10% correction going back all the way till the fall of 2011. So while that doesn't guarantee that a correction is right around the corner, it's easy to see that that could be happening. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, make sure you go back and listen to episode 127. That's where I talk about the fragility of this market and how this is just a business cycle that isn't cycling. That's an ominous sign. A way to profit and make money in the stock market is to identify trends by looking at anomalies. Well, we're in a market right now that's a major, strange anomaly. And there's a lot of money that can be made, but there's also a lot of money that can be lost. Interest rates are incredibly unstable. Just in the last two or three weeks, as we've gone through all the Greek drama and the problems with the Chinese stock market, we've seen major fluctuations with the longer-term Treasury bills, with the 10-year, the 20- and the 30-year Treasury bills. It's very unusual. In a time when it looks like we may be seeing higher interest rates coming from the Federal Reserve, we're still seeing interest rates that are well below where they were just in 2013. In spite of this vacillation and this downward trend in interest rates, we're still seeing the U.S. dollar hold up pretty well. Now, it's stumbled, and again, as as people flocked to safety during the height of the Greek drama, the value of the U.S. dollar came down as would be expected. But it's still holding up very well. I maintain my long position in the U.S. dollar. It's not that I think our currency is spectacular or that I think our economy is outperforming everybody else. I just think that we're the best house in a bad neighborhood. Commodities in general continue to deteriorate. Just when you think there's a bottom in gold or in copper or in iron ore, these other commodity products, they keep going lower. I'm keeping a sharp eye on agricultural commodities. In the past few days, they have performed better than what would be expected given the, given the general conditions and commodities overall. And while I haven't yet pulled the trigger to jump back into uh, agricultural commodities, it is something that I am likely to get back into if I continue to see some positive movement there. But I'm staying away from the metals. I'm staying away from forest products, construction, uh, you know, aluminum, all those things. I just don't see a bottom yet. Someday there will be an opportunity to get, to get back into those. They will probably snap up rapidly and pop up. I'm going to keep a close watch on those markets. I would like to participate in that kind of an uptrend. The same thing with oil stocks. Right now, as you know, if you've been listening to my podcast, I've been shorting oil on and off throughout this year. Uh, My most recent position I've held since about April 21st. It's doing very well. I'm very happy with it. As long as the major oil companies continue to see their prices decline and as long as the price of oil stays probably below its 10-day moving average, I'll keep this position short. And although even though I believe that long-term oil will go lower, if I see it bounce up in the short term, you know, you know, significantly bounce up above that 10-day moving average, I'll probably sell my position because I want to lock in my profit. Just like any position, I'm not going to fall in love with an oil short, even if I think that longer term, the price of oil is going to go down. And that's because, you know, I can never be certain. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't see the future. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. 
I would rather sell my position, hold on to my substantial profit, and let the cards fall where they may. Oil prices aren't going to drop forever. At some point, companies like ExxonMobil, Halliburton, Chevron, all those well-managed blue-chip type companies that pay excellent dividends, at some point it will be time to buy those stocks and ride them back up. Today just doesn't appear to be that day. And like I'm doing with general commodities, I'm keeping my eye on those companies and I'd like to buy into them before they pop back up because again, at some point they will shoot back up and likely they'll, they'll rise very rapidly. But right now with the oversupply of oil and the general overall instability in the energy markets, the price of oil and consequently the price of ExxonMobil and Chevron and Halliburton and these other companies, it could drop lower. If we see some major defaults, we see longer term these oil prices staying low, well, we don't have to worry about a company like ExxonMobil going out of business, but they could potentially cut their dividend. Their profits have just been emaciated. And although they're not going to go out of business, although they're a very fantastically managed company and they have a, and they have a bright future, if they cut their dividend or if they continue to have very poor earnings performance, then the price of their stock could drop lower. It could drop another 10, 15, 50%. Who knows? I don't want to get caught up in that. I want to see these stocks form a base. I want to see them consolidate. And then I want to see them rising a little bit. And then potentially I'll jump in at that point. I'd rather be safe than sorry. Now, some of you may think that I'm being overly cautious, but just think back a few weeks, a few months ago, even a year ago. How many of you said gold prices can't go any lower or silver prices can't go any lower? You know, we're below the production and, and mining and refining costs of silver. And so silver mines are going to shut down and it's going to drive the price up. Well, people said that about oil also. We've seen half of the oil rigs in the United States temporarily shut down and mothballed, and yet the production of oil has still gone up and the price has come down. Don't ever kid yourself. The price can always go lower. ExxonMobil is down something like 30%, maybe 26% from its peak about a year ago. Now, there were people that said, oh, it can drop 3% or 4%, you know, but it pays a good dividend. Well, what good is that dividend when the price has collapsed over 20%? That's the same thing with these social media stocks. Now, I've already talked about Facebook and, and Google, and we talked about Apple. And sure, they're good companies, but they can have setbacks. Look what's happened to Twitter. It's down around 40% just since April. Yelp is another one. It's down over 50% in the last, I don't know, five, six months. And it's just not these technology stocks or social media stocks. I mean, look at a company like 3M. It's a Stallworth company. It's an incredibly well-diversified and, and very well-managed company. Year-to-date is down probably 8 or 9%. And you know, when I look at the valuations on these blue-chip companies like Procter & Gamble and 3M and Johnson & Johnson and all these others, most of them are still in the range of like 20 times earnings. They're way overvalued. They could potentially drop significantly more. Why take that chance? We don't know the repercussions that a Puerto Rican default is going to have on the municipal bond market. The issues in Greece are still not resolved. Southern Europe's in recession. Northern Europe and Britain are suffering from the historically low oil prices. Because up in Northern Europe, you have the Norwegian and Scandinavian countries where they produce a lot of oil in the North Sea. The same with Britain. You know, a company like British Petroleum, it makes up a major percentage of Britain's GDP. These depressed oil prices are hurting that part of Europe just like it's hurting Venezuela, Nigeria, Russia. 
there are problems all over the world. Now, I'm not worried about an economic collapse, and I'm not going all gloomy and doomy on you. I'm just saying that if you've made profits in the last year, the last three years, I mean, as I mentioned before, this is a bull market that's been going on for six and a half years. If you've made some profits, you need to be cautious. You need to remember that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And so that takes us to the main topic of today's episode, which is why I don't believe in buying and holding and why I disagree with the premise that you should hold on to some stocks forever. Now, it's undeniable that a company like Apple has done incredibly well for the last 30 years. But look at Microsoft. It struggled for at least the last 15. And what happened to Dell Computer? What about Motorola? And some of you are saying, oh, well, Motorola was never a big company. Let me tell you something. I could remember in the early 1980s, Motorola was a leader in cellular phones. It was back in the days before anybody had one. I remember doing research and studying Motorola stock and how the, the coming wave in cell phones was going to be a big boon for them. And it did add greatly to their bottom line, and they were a great performing stock for a long time. But where are they at today in cell phone technology? They're trying to make a comeback, but they have certainly haven't benefited like an Apple or like a Samsung had. And 30 years ago, Apple didn't even have any cell phone technology. But yet they're the dominant player today. See, things change. Companies go through life cycles. Managers come and go. Fads come and go. Technology evolves. Right now, you may be enamorated with a stock. It could be a company that's biotech like Gilead, or it could be a company that's technology like Google, or it could be social media like Facebook. Whatever stock that you're enamorated with right now and that you think is something that you want to own forever, well, what you're experiencing is a normalcy bias or a historical bias. You're enamorated with a stock and you think it has the ability to dominate forever because you're looking at its track record. You know, a company like Apple, you're looking back at the last 30 years and saying, you know, how can they go wrong? But that normalcy bias, that historical bias, you're forgetting all the companies that were better than Apple 30 years ago that went by the wayside because they didn't survive until 2015, because they didn't make it through the internet bubble or the dot-com bubble or the housing bubble or whatever technological shift there was or poor management or fraud or abuse or whatever it was. Because they went by the wayside, you've forgotten about them and you're just focusing on Apple or Google or Microsoft. Well, again, look at what happened in Nokia. Nokia was originally a forest products company that evolved and changed itself, reinvented itself to be a major telecommunications company, which then eventually stumbled and, and fell apart. I mean, while we're on the topic of cell phones and telecommunications, for those of you that are enamorated with Apple or LG or Samsung or, or whatever's popular right now, think back just 10 years ago. I guarantee you, and I can guarantee this because I was there, if you went into any boardroom in America, if you talked to any executive or CEO that was worth his salt, they would tell you that their preference for a cell phone was BlackBerry. And, and not only was it their preference, but BlackBerry was so intertwined with these large companies, with these Fortune 500 companies, and with their enterprise systems that, that they had, you know, stickiness, that there was no way you could get BlackBerry out of corporate America because of the security features, just because the way they were just so ingrained into the enterprise systems. And that's just 10 years ago. What happened? Where's BlackBerry today? Their stock is down something like 80, 90% in the last 10 years. 
Let me take you on a walk down memory lane just over my lifetime. I was born in 1961, so that's 54 years ago. If you go back to 1961 and you look up the companies that made up the Dow Jones Industrial Average in that year, that would be the top 30 blue chip companies in America. Most of you wouldn't even recognize the names of those companies today. Let me read a few off in alphabetical order. Allied Chemical. Alcoa. Well, many of you will remember Alcoa, but it's no longer in the list. It dropped off about a year or so ago. American Can. AT&T, that's still on the list. American Tobacco. Anaconda Copper. Bethlehem Steel. Chrysler. How many times has Chrysler gone bankrupt in the last 54 years? Uh, here's a name out of the past. Eastman Kodak. Remember what happened with photography and how Kodak went by the wayside? I'll drop down here and read some other names. International Nickel, International Paper, Johns Manville, Swift & Company, U.S. Steel, Woolworth. How many of you have even heard of Woolworth? That was a prominent company. My grandparents would have thought that that would have been a great stock investment. That would have paid a dividend. It would have been a company to buy and hold forever. Well, they would have been wrong. And speaking of companies that my grandparents would have liked and favored, let's talk about Sears Roebuck. I've entitled this podcast, Sears Catalog Was Amazon. And let me explain that to some of you that might be younger. In 1888, the Sears Roebuck Company was a retailer, and they invented the concept of a catalog. They had a catalog with thousands of products. That catalog was found in homes and in small stores all over America. America was obviously a very rural country in 1888. You couldn't just go down to Walmart and buy something. There were no stores like Walmart. There were no big box stores. There were no grocery stores. If you lived outside of a major city, one of the only ways to get merchandise was to buy it through the Sears and Robux catalog. You know what? It was just like Amazon without an internet. You placed your order through mail or through a local store retailer that consolidated orders. And after a few weeks or maybe even months, your products would arrive. Well, that was revolutionary for its day. Sears went on to have major retail stores all over America. They had their own product lines, their own brands. They were well known for tools like Craftsman and for providing very high quality American made appliances and they dominated the retail sector for close to a 100 years. And you're saying, yeah, but you know, they didn't have the technology that Amazon does. Well, they had the technology for their day. Do you think that they could have operated their catalog and their thousands of stores and their tens of thousands of employees and all their credit cards and their financing groups? They, they could have never administered all those things if they didn't have superior technology for the time they were in. So they, in effect, were the Amazon of their day. Well, what happened? Well, they fell asleep at the wheel. They had bad management. They lost the art of retailing. They didn't keep up with technology. And you know, an upstart, a, a kid out of nowhere comes out of California and starts Amazon and in effect recreates the Sears catalog. And now Amazon is on top. But it could have and it should have been Sears. Sears had the manpower. They had the technology. They had the resources. They had the know-how. My grandfather would have firmly believed in owning Sears stock forever. It paid a dividend. It owned vast amounts of real estate. It was involved in every aspect of people's lives, just like Amazon is today. But Sears is nearly broke. It's bankrupt. 
And the same thing could happen to Amazon or Apple or Google or Procter and Gamble or Johnson and Johnson or Nike or Under Armour. Pick whatever company you want to. They all experience life cycles. They have births and they have deaths. Now, some companies manage to stay around for a hundred plus years like General Electric, but that doesn't mean that they'll last forever. Technology will change. Their management may not be able to adapt. Their competitors may put them out of business. Government regulation may stifle their growth. Fads or fashion could just come or go. It could just make something obsolete. Think about all the major corporations that used to make men's hats. That was a big business at one time. Now, technology didn't replace that. It's just a matter of style and fashion that men don't wear hats anymore. The same thing could happen to Under Armour or Nike or Lululemon. Any major brand today could experience a shift in customer appeal and it could be out of business or insignificant in a matter of a few years. That's why I don't believe in buy and holding. That's why I'm a swing trader. I like to invest with the trend, particularly short-term and near-term trends. Go out and look at a stock chart. You'll see that over time, that stock goes up and down. It ebbs and flows. It generally never goes straight up, nor does it necessarily go straight down. It moves in waves and in patterns. Now, sometimes things do fall apart abruptly, but oftentimes there's hints. You can watch the price volume action. You can see at the peak or at the trough when the stock gets exhausted and the trend falls apart. You can't predict the future, but you can look for patterns. And what I'm talking about just doesn't occur in stocks. It occurs in real estate. It occurs in bonds. It happens in privately managed companies that you may work for. So be conscious of these things. Understand the life cycle of things. Look for these patterns. Pay attention. Don't fall in love with any stock. You should love your spouse, your children, your parents, your dog or your cat. Those are the things that you love. For stocks, you just use them. You just date them. When you're done with them, you forget about them and you go on to the next one. If that stock starts to perform better again, you get back into it. That's what I mean when I talk about swing trading. I think in this protracted six and a half year bull market that we're in, that's been perpetuated from Federal Reserve intervention and a lot of government deficit spending and all kinds of corporate shenanigans from buybacks and balance sheet engineering. I think you have to be very cautious and look at everything very cynically and err on the side of caution. Now, in this podcast, I can never offer recommendations or advice. I just talk out loud. I tell you what's on my mind. I give you some insights into my thoughts as I manage my portfolio. I do that in hopes that you'll become better educated about investing, about the stock market, that you'll develop wealth-building skills, and that you won't fall a victim to bear markets or to rip off investments that scamsters try and sell you. So, hey, take the information for what it's worth. I can't see the future. I'm cautiously moving forward. As I mentioned, just today I did buy Walmart stock, so I'm not sticking my head in the sand like an ostrich. I'm not burying all my money in the backyard. I'm making strategic purchases, and I'm allocating my resources very carefully. I would encourage you to do the same thing. Well, hey, as always, I appreciate you listening. Until the next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.